to be not only like confident as who I am as a chef, but also to be like a role model for others is very humbling and very gratifying because I didn't really expect that I needed or wanted that. Like I said, I really just thought it was going to be like a part-time job where I was teaching classes a couple times a week. I mean, as much as I feel like LKA is grateful for me, I feel very grateful to be here as well. A good kitchen produces good food, but a great kitchen brings people together. Welcome to Meet Me in the Kitchen, a podcast inspired by Little Kitchen Academy, exploring the key ingredients to a meaningful life and how they are changing lives from scratch. Here's my dad and your host, Scott Rintoul. No matter what you do or where you work, you want to enjoy it. It's difficult to qualify exactly what that looks like because we're all different, but hopefully we all know what it feels like. Companies often refer to it as culture, and most companies talk about establishing a great culture. What that ultimately comes down to is people. You can have the greatest product or service in the world, but if you don't have great people, it won't matter. That holds true for Little Kitchen Academy, where Felicity and Brian are both acutely aware of how essential having the right people is to creating an environment where children can build their independence. And so it's high time we hear from one of those key ingredients. Avery Fletcher is the director of the Century City location of Little Kitchen Academy in Los Angeles. And he was good enough to meet me in the kitchen for a conversation about how he has become a vibrant part of the tapestry that Little Kitchen Academy is weaving together. How's everything down in Los Angeles? Uh, you know, we're going through May gray right now. So we had a couple of weeks of really beautiful sunny weather and now it's gloomy and cloudy. And there's the potential of it breaking through every day, but you kind of have to hold your breath and see. So today doesn't seem like the sun's going to break through. <laughs> well, it'll break through somehow. You've got a smile on your face. So that's all that really matters. And it's Los Angeles, so you won't have to wait that long. Did you grow up in Los Angeles? Is this where you're from? No, I'm actually um, from New York City. So I lived there from, we moved there when I was about six until I was 23. No, 23, what am I talking about? Until I was 28. So yeah, I've been in LA now for going on four years. Definitely starts starting to feel like home, especially after the pandemic. It's been nice to move out of the first apartment. We're in our second place now to really feel like, you know, I don't miss New York so much anymore. And I actually was just there and was you know traveling to Toronto to open a little kitchen in Toronto and really felt like that urge to come home to LA which kind of showed me you know that this is home now I do want to get to current times but I want to go back because you said you grew up in New York that is such a vibrant culinary scene how much did that foster your passion for food and the kitchen itself I think it definitely played a part. I think that my journey with food is like a little bit more personal because, and not necessarily tied to New York. My parents raised me vegetarian, so I felt like food and eating was like always something that I was thinking about because especially once you start socializing, going to school and stuff like that, you're around children that, you know, especially back when I was young, being a vegetarian was kind of few and far between, especially for kids. So a lot of kids didn't really understand 
what that meant or thought it was like something to like dangle a piece of bologna in my face to see like what kind of reaction I would give. So, you know, I was a very picky child, very, I probably ate like six meals until I was 11 or 12. (laughs) So I think food and my journey becoming a chef was really based more about like, what can I feed myself and how can I support myself in a world that is not always accommodating for, you know, my diet. And, you know, obviously since then, vegetarianism, veganism has kind of blown up and become super popular, especially in cities like New York and Los Angeles. Um, And I'm not even a full vegetarian anymore, but for sure it was like my starting point to open myself up and see kind of new ways of feeding myself that weren't just like beans and rice and pizza. (laughs) Well, that's an interesting point that you make because it's not just a dietary choice at that point and a lifestyle choice. It's a social choice given the time you were growing up in because it's much more accommodating now. But at the time, as you mentioned, most people fairly ignorant to vegetarianism or veganism for the most part. What types of challenges did that present for you on the way up? I'm a very stubborn person, so I don't know if I would consider them challenges. I feel like I'm very like rooted in my my uh, convictions and in my choices. So I think for a long time I was like the child that, or the adult even that was like never going to try meat. You know, I was going to die on that hill. I was uh, growing up in this, in New York City. I was never going to drive a car. Never learned to drive. You know, um, that was another one that like. I was kind of defining myself and I think only until later I kind of realized like even though I thought it was a strength, it was kind of a limitation that I was putting on myself and I think I was like protecting myself by being like proud of that limitation. I feel now like more comfortable not necessarily labeling my diet and I appreciate, you know, going to Little Kitchen for a second that, you know, we don't necessarily come forward with it being a vegetarian kitchen but it's just kind of a a fun fact, you know? It doesn't affect the way we think about what we're gonna feed ourselves and the choices we make. No, I I understand where you're going. And the more I think about what you describe for your journey and the way things used to be as far as choice went, it probably became a part of your identity to a certain degree. Yeah, and I feel like you have, just like people just didn't understand it. And I think I felt just very special for, you know, being different in that way. And I felt maybe I might lose a part of myself if I tried meat or changed in that type of way, you know, that I wouldn't have that part of me that made me special. So as you mentioned, you didn't have a lot of variety in the meals you ate. You were fairly picky. And some of that had to do with choice. And then you began to explore what was the catalyst for actually pursuing a culinary career? Well, I'd say probably in high school, my mom kind of forced me (laughs) to learn to cook. And she, you know, for a couple different reasons, she was working a lot and I had to, I have younger siblings that are significantly younger than me. Her children are 10 and 12 years younger than me. So when I was in high school, they were four or six or something like that. So I, you know, pretty often had to help make dinners or just like kind of babysit. And I think that she was smart to bring me in into the kitchen and kind of show me, have me kind of shadow her, help out. And I would say like into high school, I also got very into like the social side of cooking, having friends over, you know, making 
crazy pastries and things like that definitely became like a weekend and after school activity for me and my friends. So it became like a fun place to kind of take control. And I may have been limited, but I was not limited in the sweets that I like to eat. So <laughs> it was like four savory things and like every every sweet option you could get your hands on. So, you know, being able to like cook and do all that stuff was was empowering. And when I finally went to college, it was good for me because, you know, I wasn't super adventurous, but at least I like knew how to make a couple meals for myself. But I didn't initially go to culinary school from high school. I originally went to film school and then transferred to advertising and kind of was on like a soul searching journey of like what I wanted to do. And both of those kind of didn't pan out and was working for my dad, who at the time had a business where he designed and created like home goods, like bedding and that type of thing. And we kind of had a falling out and I was kind of back at the drawing board and I'd always, you know, dreamt about going to culinary school on the side as like something that would be fun to do. But I was always scared about going to a school that was going to be like Le Cordon Bleu, where I knew the curriculum would be tons of meat and things that I had never eaten or didn't even feel comfortable handling. So it was always, it always felt like something that I could never do. And around that same time I discovered in New York, there was a vegetarian vegan culinary school that was like a health and wellness focused school that did a chef's training program that was a mixture of, you know, classical culinary technique and education, but also nutrition education on feeding people with different diets. A big focus is on food as like a medicine. So feeding people that may have gone through cancer uh, treatments or other types of cleansing post or pre some kind of health condition was a really good place for me to start. And so it really was a super safe space. And there was never anything there that like pushed me out of my comfort zone, but actually kind of just opened me up and got me excited. And through school, which was a part-time program, I had to get an internship as part of, you know, graduation. And I needed a job because I wasn't going to school for full time and supporting myself. So rather than having a non-culinary job, I just decided to do the internship and then stay at the, the restaurant and worked full-time at the restaurant while going to culinary school part-time. So the restaurant I worked at was is still open. It's called Marlowe and Sons. It's in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And it's part of a like a little chain of restaurants, not chain, but a small group of restaurants that are all, you know, super farm to table, daily menu, you know, very fresh, very vegetable driven. And I worked the lunch and breakfast shift for, you know, a year and a half or so. And it really was another place where I could experiment and try things and not feel like super pressured to do it. And, you know, I tried bacon for the first time there and prosciutto. And at school, we did like the one class that wasn't vegetables. We did one chicken, one chicken and poultry class and like one fish class. So, you know, I was able to try these things at like my own pace and kind of opened me up to the possibility of, you know, working with them professionally, but also like eating them as well. When you look back on your journey with food and with cooking, is there a point that you can identify now where you went from, I'm doing this to feed and nourish myself to I find actually a lot of satisfaction and a bit of a passion in doing that for others? I would say no, just because like, I feel like ultimately I still 
think like sometimes like I went to culinary school just to feed myself. <laughs> like, cause I feel like I've had a really hard time falling in love with the restaurant industry and finding like my place in the industry as a cook or chef or whatever title you want to give me. I, I've had a little bit of like imposter syndrome, a little bit of like just feeling like an, the odd person out in like the, in the restaurant environment, you know, that's like very masculine, very like heteronormative. It, it's like a lot of alcoholics and, you know, grueling hours and just things like I never wanted to like fully commit to. And so I would say I do love to cook for other people, but I prefer to cook for people that like I can have a direct effect on, like my friends or my partner or my family and for myself, obviously, more than I do you know, cooking in a restaurant without ever seeing the customers or even doing like private work, which I've done a bunch of that, you know, it just kind of drains me and I have a hard time doing things when it's like, you know, draining my love of something, you know, I feel inherently creative, but that if I tap that creativity too much, I just walk away. Is that where some of the daily joy comes from for you? or satisfaction comes from for you because you are working directly with the children who are in the classes and who are attending LKA in Century City? Yeah, for sure. And I would say it's been a journey for me, my whole career. It's not been a straight line. And I feel like there's like steps forward and steps backwards, but the path to finding this job, you know, in retrospect does seem very clear. <laughs> you know, going through it, it didn't feel like it made sense, but now it feels like all the choices kind of like lined up for this in the right way. I mean, obviously I didn't know this was coming, but I feel, you know, pre-pandemic, I had just started teaching culinary classes for adults for the first time. And I really found like a love for that. I love, you know, teaching people. I've always loved training and I've worked in many management roles before. So training has always been something that I enjoyed. I, I never really put together kind of like teaching someone cooking is kind of like a way of training in a sense. And, you know, obviously with children, it's even more rewarding because they don't have any preconceived notions or opinions about things and they're much more open and you really get to see everything that they're experiencing and feeling in the moment where, you know, adults come in with what they want to do and what they expect to get out of it. So yeah, I would say the beautiful part about this job is it uses all the things I love about my career and the things I've worked on and my skills, but it doesn't take the energy I have that then makes me want to go and cook for other people. That's great. And that's a nice balance to achieve. I do want to go to the question that everybody gets in this podcast. Now it seems like a good time to do it. What's the one ingredient that is always in your kitchen and why? So the one ingredient that's always in my kitchen is joy. I, especially in like a working environment, have always tried to have like a positive, you know, disposition. And I've always strived to be in leadership roles. It's just something I really like to do. And I you just like naturally kind of end up in. So I think being positive and, you know, exuding, you know, joy and happiness is really important because it, it just trickles down from there. But I've kind of recently reconsidered changing my one ingredient because, you know, that was when I picked when I first started here, literally within like a couple weeks of working. So I feel with a lot of time here that my one ingredient might actually be patience because I feel that that's the one I use the most 
in real life, in and out of Little Kitchen Academy. You know, I think, especially here with children, you need to have lots of patience. And I think at home, when you're cooking, you need patience. When you're dealing with, you know, tough individuals at a restaurant, you need patience. And customer service, you need patience. And all of my success, I think, comes from being I mean, I'm a very aggressive person sometimes, but I think I can listen and I can wait and I can like absorb and be patient. And I, I do think that the more I think about it, I might be changing my one ingredient to that. <laughs> well, it's interesting because there is this evolution and Brian and Felicity have talked about that and others have talked about the fact that when you first get asked that question, you think of something tangible that can literally be in your cupboard or in your spice rack or whatever it is. And then you go through this journey of, what being in the kitchen means to you. And it's interesting that you may have even seen an evolution from what you originally anticipated going into patience. Now I want to touch on joy for a second because that makes everybody smile when you say that and probably you as well. I want to know for you, what does joy look like in the kitchen, whether it's you expressing joy or even the children that you're working with? Yeah, I would say just, a sense of like wonderment and a sense of open possibilities is, is to me is joy. It's it's um, not defining someone's experience. It's giving them opportunity to, you know, see what they can see through their own eyes and allowing them the space to express that. And I think that that's can be hard, especially when you come from a culinary background that you want to teach a specific skill or you want to teach a specific recipe to come out a very you know certain way. And what I like about Little Kitchen is that it doesn't ask you to do that. And that is hard, but I think ultimately rewarding because it's really about the, the child's experience and they don't know how something's supposed to come out. You know, we don't have pictures on the recipes because it's okay if it looks one way or another. And I think joy is allowing that space to discover those things on your own and really feel accomplished. You know, obviously in an environment that is positive and happy and supportive and you know, leaving your baggage at the door almost, you know, I, I'm a big believer in like not bringing my personal life into work, which, you know, sometimes can alienate me from my team, I think. And I've worked on that over my career, but I try to not bring what's making me upset at home or what's bugging me that day in and start fresh when I walk in the door because the children, you know, need us to be positive beacons of, you know, excitement and possibility. You're right. And I hope it goes the other way too, that if you have a tough day at work for whatever reason, that it doesn't go home. And, and it's, it's tough to separate church and state, if you will, the way that you described it there. I want to compare and contrast how you see joy and wonderment in children compared to when you were teaching adults culinary skills. Well, I think I tell this to my staff, too, because I think a lot of staff feel, you know, maybe overwhelmed that they don't have a culinary background and they're now being asked to teach a class. I feel like with children, you don't have to pull out all these facts and bells and whistles and, you know, do all these like backflips to try to get them excited. You know, you teach them things that they never knew before or you 
pose questions to them and make them think about things. And they're willing to go there and do the work. Whereas adults, you know, want a lot of things done for them. And they just want the final product. I think that's the big difference is the journey versus the final product. You know, just like at Little Kitchen, there's plenty of students that don't even want to eat when we get to the final thing because maybe they don't like what they've made, but they've had a great time throughout the whole process because it's the cutting things to a certain size, it's organizing their their ingredients, and it's about the work that goes into the final product that's exciting for them. Whereas, you know, adults, it's like we're going to do something that could take just as long as a little kitchen class, three hours, but we're going to do it in an hour and a half. And we're going to do everything for them before they come in prep wise. So that really all they have to do is like stand and stir. And, you know, maybe they've got a glass of wine that's like making the whole thing go down a little easier. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a totally different experience. (laughs) No, you're right about that. And the way you describe it makes a lot of sense because Adults have preconceived notions and adults want to have something that they can show everybody or Instagram. Kids don't have that. Kids look at it in a completely different manner. Do you think that the way the children go through the process can actually change the way their parents think about how they do things with their kids or perhaps how they do things themselves because of the joy they see in their kids coming out? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Felicity has, I mean, she said something like this to me before, so maybe she said it to you too, but... It would be so nice if the parents could really see everything. I mean, obviously, we're not going to bring them inside, but it would be so great if they could see, you know, what they're doing. And obviously, we try to post stories on our Instagram and, you know, they can look through the window, but they're never going to really get to see the beauty of these children and their independence and all of the choices and the hard work that they put into everything that, unfortunately, I think sometimes it's lost on the parents. And I mean, I can't speak to Canadian parents, but I feel like the parents in LA, some of them are just, they just do things for their children more. You know, their their children expect things to be done for them and they expect to do things for them. And so we kind of upend that here. And I think some children, it's a really great opportunity to see how they grow in that time. And it would be so awesome to see that that if the parent could see that, but I don't necessarily think that they're going to go home and suddenly like change their ways for their parent and like totally change the relationship dynamic and start, you know, doing all the dishes and stuff at home unless that's like a chore they already have. But, you know, we do get some amazing reviews of children doing just that, like taking the initiative at home, helping clean up, setting the table, those types of things, which I think open their eyes to the possibility of what their child is capable of that they might, you know, not even think. Canadian parents are just as guilty. Believe me, (laughs) we do things for our kids. And it's funny having talked to a number of people associated with LKA, it's made me rethink some things as a parent saying, you know what, I should just let my child try that instead of making the choice for them or facilitating whatever it is. And it's really reshaped some of the activities or some of the thoughts I've had about it. The other thing I would jump in here with, as we go back in time for a second, is I love the fact on your journey that you didn't start in culinary or in cooking. You made that choice, and then you left the industry entirely, didn't you? You you took a different path to see if that might be something else to explore. What was that process like for you? Yeah, so like right around the time I started working, uh, or left working with my father, and Right before I started culinary school, I started working at SoulCycle. 
And at first I was just like a, you know, a front desk employee helping, you know, customers in and out of the, their classes. And I kind of went back and forth between working there part time while going to culinary school and, and working in the kitchen. And then I kind of went all in on, on the culinary side for a while. And kind of like I mentioned, I felt very, I didn't feel like myself. And there's been a few times in my life where I've been working in a culinary setting and I've kind of looked back at like the last year and been like, I don't even recognize myself. You know, I've realized that I can, I'm a, I can be a hard worker and I can kind of like put my head down and do things. But then I realize like I'm not happy, A, but I'm also not like expressing myself in the way that I want to. I'm not like wearing clothing that I think looks like me or like doing my hair, or caring about my hair or just like kind of the surface level examples, but they're kind of like the, the telltale signs that I've kind of caught. And so back then when I was working in the restaurants, I felt just like a little scared to get fully involved. I was kind of like in and out and just didn't want to commit, didn't want to sacrifice the time I had with my boyfriend and like with the other things that I had in my life. And so I decided to go back to SoulCycle and I started work full time and I was working uh, as a manager there. And I really loved that. I mean, you know, fast forward a couple years after that, I felt a little bit dead ended, not because I wasn't expressing myself as who I am, but more like I didn't know where I saw my career going. So that's kind of been this you know, back and forth with me, this duality of like balancing what makes me happy and, and allows me to be my authentic self, but also like, where do I see my career and what is fulfilling me on that side as well? But I do think that my time at SoulCycle, as even though it didn't pan out to a lot of growth, I mean, I was running a business. I was the head manager of the location. I did learn a ton about management and customer service and those skills are invaluable and I use them every day here that, you know, if I hadn't have done that, I don't think I would be where I am today. Exactly. Everything that we've done in the past, while some may view it as failure, it's led us to the point that we're at right now. And what you're saying is a perfect example of that. You talked about the duality and having to live almost separate lives from work to personal life. Have you found that this job allows you to merge that and, and allows you to have that happiness? Yeah, I think so. I think I came I came into this job very like unwilling to sacrifice almost, you know, like confident in who I am enough now. And I think this has just taken growing up a bit and age to to get to that point. But just to not sacrifice my happiness for a job. I think, you know, I've had since moving to LA with the pandemic as well, just like three times where I was unemployed. And I mean, one was the pandemic, so we can't, maybe we don't count that one. But the other two, I've chosen to be unemployed at those times. And they're very humbling experiences. And sometimes they, in the past, they'd push me to take a job after a certain point that I didn't really know or I knew wasn't a good fit just because I needed something. And then I felt ended up in that same boat where I was either putting, you know, work above my own happiness. And I felt like coming into this one, 
very clear that I wasn't going to sign myself up for anything that I didn't want to do or couldn't do with a smile on my face. So my, my journey here, you know, went from zero to 60 very fast. And, you know, I started as a, you know, part-time instructor and quickly became assistant director and then director within a month and a half, two months of starting. So, you know, I don't think I would have just said yes to all those things if I wasn't like very on board and could already see that I was able to be myself. And I think really what was the like clincher in that was Felicity. I mean, meeting her, especially when she came back down after I became the director and we spent time together, I really felt like she gave me permission and and an expectation to be myself that other jobs don't always like care about, you know? Yeah, I do know. I know exactly what you're talking about. And at its best and what I believe LK is striving for, and you have a better idea than I do on this, is to let everybody know you have a place here, you are welcome here, and you can be yourself. Those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. There's no box for you to fit into. Yeah, I I can't remember exactly the conversation we had when she was here that one time, but you know, I did talk to her about being gay and being in the culinary industry. Like they don't always, you don't always feel like you have a place in it. And so to find this role and to be not only like confident as like who I am as a chef, but also to be like a role model for others is very humbling and very gratifying because I didn't really expect that I needed or wanted that. Like I said, I really just thought it was going to be like a part-time job where I was teaching classes a couple times a week. I mean, as much as I feel like LKA is grateful for me. I feel very grateful to be here as well. I know they're thrilled to have you and I know they're lucky to have you even having just this conversation with you and and everything that you've gone through. And, And you're talking about that experience of not necessarily feeling like you have a place as an adult who can comprehend a lot of different things. And it makes you feel for kids who are going through a spot in their lives where they don't feel like they have a place. And creating an environment where they can have one is extremely important to let people know that they belong, which brings up the whole concept of of inclusivity. What does inclusivity mean in a kitchen? What does it mean in Little Kitchen Academy? Yeah, I mean, I think it's throwing down our preconceived notions about things. I think when I look at my childhood, particularly, I feel like I was my most authentic self until, you know, you start to hit school, you know, you start to hit especially middle school and then high school. You know, I remember just being so free in elementary school, just did whatever I wanted and wore whatever I wanted and expressed myself without fear of like gender roles or culture. And obviously growing up in Lower Manhattan definitely helped with that and having like a supportive family and super open community was great. But, you know, once you hit middle school and then high school, even though I came out when I was 13, I felt constantly like I was making myself more comfortable for other people. So I feel like that happens with children all day, all the time. And to to create a space where, you know, they can come in and really be themselves completely without anyone telling them that that's right or wrong is so important. And if we could create that kind of precedent for 
children for their whole development, you know, until they reach adolescence. I mean, I feel like we would have just so much less baggage in our lives as as a culture. (laughs) You're absolutely right. No, I agree with everything you just said, 100%. So I suppose... The obvious question off of that is, as the director at Century City of Little Kitchen Academy, how do you ensure that the environment is inclusive? I mean, I think there's different ways to look at it. As we grow, we kind of are learning, you know, what children come here. And so I think you you do kind of get, since we are an extracurricular, we're not necessarily getting like a swath of like every type of person all the time. I feel like we, we do get more specific people that have either specific interests or specific experiences. And obviously like socioeconomic backgrounds are obviously gonna play a factor in that too. And whether or not you can afford to come to Little Kitchen Academy, So I feel like we already get a child that is more curious and more maybe cerebral. And so I think to foster that, it's, you know, not defining things kind of like we were saying before, like not having a right or wrong and leaving things more open ended and making it about your own individual experiences and what and talking through those. But I think also You know, when we think about children, especially at Little Kitchen Academy, we've got many students that come through that have um, learning exceptionalities. So whether it's ADHD or autism or something like that, creating a safe space for them is very important and also kind of unexpected to the parent. We have lots of parents that kind of expect our environment to be operated much like their school. And I think many parents have a lot of trauma sending their child with exceptionalities through public school in particular because it's not accommodating. And I think what makes us different is that we don't have a bias and we don't have, you know, you need X, Y, and Z if you want to come here. We're very open and we treat every child the same way. And it's just been really beautiful to watch that because while maybe I don't have autism, but I feel like as someone growing up gay and expressing themselves in a very feminine way all the time, you know, you stand out and uh, an autistic child to a non-autistic child stands out too. So I feel like whether or not they're expressing that feeling, like they're feeling that people are looking at them differently or that culture sees them differently, they're, they're treated differently than their classmates. And, you know, having experienced versions of that in my life, I don't like that feeling. And so to, to make sure that we're creating a space where that doesn't even exist is very, very important. The other thing that I know has been a, an advancement for you or a new role for you to take on within Little Kitchen Academy is that you become part of the LKA team and you're one of the opening trainers. What's that experience been like for you? It's been really cool. Um, I was sick when we opened this location. So I was hired before we opened, but I kind of missed the the big opening. So I, for on one sense, like I've been just dying to like go through that experience and like see it all start from zero. But also it's just been really inspirational to see the impact of Little Kitchen in just new communities, to see the excitement of families in those places, to hear I mean, you hear the same thing, whether you're here in LA or in Toronto, where I just was, or even when we were in Vancouver, like 
parents like, oh my gosh, we need this. We've been waiting for this. And so clearly we're doing something right and we're, we're, at the, we're there at the right time. And to be a part of that and be able to help share my experiences and my knowledge with these new teams has been super gratifying. Well, and it seems to me, and this is just getting to know you over the course of this conversation, but knowing a little of your background as well, that that probably lights you up to merge your creative side with your culinary training and your love of people all in one new environment. Yeah, definitely. I, yeah, I, I love training. I, I love like showing, teaching people and, you know, role playing the opening and doing all that work and watching the team go from like nothing to teaching a class in four days is really cool. And I, I mean, I can't take all the credit because the owner of, you know, Haley from the beach, for example, you know, we came in, she had done an an amazing job training her team, but it was all mostly book training. So to go from all the training in your brain and then to help them put it into practice, it helps refine me and helps me think about, oh, what can I bring back to my team to like help us even elevate even more. But it's also just gratifying to watch those individual teams and individual staff that they've hired kind of see it click, the LKA, because they're coming in, you know, sight unseen, basically, something that's that they, in their town, they don't have one open that they can see, they can go on our website, they can go on our Instagram, but until they start having students in the classroom, they're just kind of imagining it. So to help them bring it to reality has been very very special. All right, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want to know a great compliment that you've received from a child and a great compliment that you've received from a parent over the course of your time at Little Kitchen Academy. I mean, the child didn't directly compliment me, but I will use this as an example (laughs) Um, because I felt like if he could have complimented me, he would have. But essentially, you know, we had a child, I was out for a week or a weekend, this class that this boy started, and he was very quiet and shy. And the team here did their best to encourage him to participate, but he was just hesitant. I mean, he's three or four years old, and he was scared to do anything really touch the equipment, you know, use the the knives, the cutting board. And his, you know, his parents kind of gave the team that kind of warning. So they weren't like completely unaware. So eventually he got a chair and he kind of just watched the class while it was happening. And so the next week I decided to, you know, start fresh with him and I was teaching the class and, you know, I had him next to me and I didn't bring in my assumption of where he was at from the week before. And I broke things down for him a little bit differently than I did for the whole class, gave him another set of instructions. And by the end of the class, he was just, you know, a completely 180 from the week before and completely involved doing everything. And yeah, it made me feel really good. And he got so excited to come back the next week and was like my little buddy for like the remaining three classes. So without telling me, he, you know, told me through his actions that he appreciated me giving him that extra time. And, you know, it really allowed him to have a great experience here. 
And then a parent, again, this is, I can't take all the credit for this, but I think my team has a lot to do with it as well. But our first autistic student, his name is Cedric, his mom reached out and many, like many parents of autistic children, they usually reach out with the most requests, like I need to be in the room or their occupational therapist needs to be in the room or, you know, they need X, Y, and Z. And they can't tell necessarily from the outside or the website looking in like everything and how we function our 10 students to three instructor structure, you know, the independence of every station. So usually, so when we speak to them, it helps them kind of get it and see how their child will actually do very well in the environment. So, you know, with that parent, it was our first time doing something like this. It was still October or something. We had only been open for a few months. We brought Cedric and his mom into the environment when we were, you know, not having a class. They were able to see the the space. They were able to ask questions, get a feel for what class was going to look and feel like. And that child has been coming back every Sunday since we started with him in October. So I, I know that that parent is very appreciative, whether or not they have directly told me. I mean, they've told me through, <laughs> through returning week after week. And, you know, they were on the fence of if it was going to work out at the beginnings. And that's not the only child like that that we've had. And we have a few of those that I feel like want the, the especially the, the children that have, have had experiences where other places they don't feel like they're given a space, they become like our most loyal, consistent students here. So I would say that one. Well, I'm not surprised by any of that. I've heard so many great things about you, Avery, and they have all proven to be true in our conversation here. Thank you so much for your time. And I really appreciate meeting you and, and having you do this today. Thanks, Scott. Great to meet you too. Meet Me in the Kitchen is curated and produced by Toolkit Content. You can find more information about Little Kitchen Academy, including classes, locations, employment, and franchise opportunities at littlekitchenacademy.com. What's the one ingredient that's always in your kitchen? 